for about to do a, a new series looking at the fruit of the Spirit. And we've called it Peeled because really that's what it is. It's an examination of our character. When God peels us back, what is found inside us? They're supposed to be the fruit of the Spirit. They're supposed to be love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. I hope that in ever-increasing measure, that's what manifests in our life. As we grow in maturity in God, as we allow the Spirit to rule and govern our lives, then in ever-increasing measure, we should have those things. But here's the challenge. You could go out into the world today and find someone who's very loving. You could find someone who's more full of joy than any of us here. You could find people that are peaceful, patient, they're kind, they're good, they're faithful, they're gentle, and they have self-control. But it's not born from God. It's not a godly manifestation of those things. And what the fruit of the Spirit is, is evidence of God at work in us, not a human thing that's conjured up or a human wisdom or a human learnt skill. It's a God-given capacity to go beyond what is human to a supernatural manifestation of those things, to love when it makes no sense to love, to be joyous when you're in the midst of a crisis or hanging on a cross. There is still joy. There's patience with people well beyond what the world would give patience to. And so that's really the fruit of the Spirit. It's the, it's the evidence, it's the proof of God at work in us supernaturally that we can be all of those things. And the next series we're going to move on to is called Empowered. And it's the gifts of the Spirit, gifts of the Holy Spirit. Words of wisdom, words of knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, different kinds of tongues and interpretation of tongues. And their manifestations of the Spirit's power. They're proof that God lives in us because you cannot do any of those things without God resident in your life. So the world might be able to counterfeit or mimic fruit of the Spirit but the world cannot counterfeit any of those things to any great degree. Now we know from Scripture that back in the time of Exodus, when Moses went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go, and he wouldn't do it, that there were certain miracles that happened that the sorcerers in that country were able to reproduce, but it only went so far. And so when we look at fruits of the Spirit or gifts of the Spirit, We've got to take a step back because they're all built on the assumption that you are spirit-filled people. And sadly in the church today, right around Victoria, right around Australia today, there are churches that are meeting just like us and people are convinced that God is there working. My question is, how would you know that? If we were to get really analytical and critical this morning of what's happened here this morning, how would we prove that God is in the midst of us? How would we prove it? Because John sings well? Because we have drums and bass and keyboard? Because of the prayers that we How would we actually prove, demonstrate that God is here in our midst today? We've heard it said, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Thank you for your... How would we know? It's a pretty tough question, isn't it? But it's the right question to ask. Because we don't want to be a church that's devoid of the Holy Spirit. We want to be a church that's full of the Spirit, which means we have to have people that are full of the Spirit. 
And so today, before we really launch into these things, I want to look at your born ultimatum. Now, that is not Matt Damon. <laughs> I can guarantee you of that. This is a guy called William Booth. You've heard of the Salvation Army? This is the man that started the Salvation Army. He said, the chief danger that confronts the coming century will be religion without the Holy Spirit. And what's happening in our churches today is that we are getting more and more devoid of the Holy Spirit and more and more striving in our own strength to manifest an atmosphere of godliness. It's a form of godliness without power. And it's dangerous. And the challenge for us as the church is to keep constantly asking ourselves, are we just going through motions? Are we doing this in human strength? Are all our forms and, and the things that we do, are they actually spirit-born, spirit-led, or are they just conjured up by us? And there's a real danger if we don't address this. Now, we could study the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit Spirit as an academic exercise. We could go through it and tick boxes and say, yeah, I'm loving, I'm joyous. We could pursue it that way or we could pursue those things as an overflow of experience. And that's the way it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be a testimony of what God is doing, not what God is going to do because I'm studying about it. There's a fundamental difference there. It flows out of my experience. I can say I'm joyous because of the Spirit's work in my life, not studying, oh, I hope to be joyous one day. <laughs> it's the here and the now. It's a testimony of God. Is anybody else cooking? Okay, Matt, can you turn the heaters off, please, mate? I think it's this one over here. It's killing us. I just thought it might have been the Lord. <laughs> but do you see how you could do that? How you could turn a thing like that and say, oh, it's so hot in here. The Lord must be moving. <laughs> do you feel him, do you? You know? And we could convince ourselves that we're moving in God, but we may not be. And so I want to look at that topic today and be sure that we are. So could we do church and live out our lives not fully reliant on the Holy Spirit? Yes, we could. Could we become satisfied with an expression of our faith that underplays the person and the work of the Holy Spirit? Yes, we could. And if that is possible, then we need to be vigilant to make sure that that doesn't happen. Could we have forms of Christianity lacking the Holy Spirit's presence and power? Of course. So it's not by might, it's not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty, that we need to be ministering out of a fullness of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit will come when the Lordship of the Holy Spirit is in control over our lives. The fruit of the Spirit will come when we are walking in step and in union with the Holy Spirit. They will come naturally out of our relationship with God. But the problem is we can do church and we can do religion without God. We're very good at it, actually. Most churches in Australia today are getting better at doing it because it's human-led and not God-led. So how would we determine if the Holy Spirit is present here today? If he's leading this service? if he has control over our lives, if he has freedom to lead the church, what do we go looking for? Like if we get to the end of Sunday and we say, that was a great service, God really met with us. What do you mean by that? That we had warm, fuzzy feelings inside or the music was really in key and everyone didn't hit bad notes or the preacher didn't preach for 40 minutes, he only spoke for 20 today, so that was really good. Much better week. What do we go looking for? What, what is it that we found our theology on? 
of the Holy Spirit of God. This is what Catherine Booth said, the wife of William Booth. She said, I would rather have a little child with the power of the Holy Ghost, hardly able to put two sentences of the Queen's English together to come to help, to bless and to benefit my soul than I would have the most learned divine in the kingdom without it. For it is not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. Oh, that you would learn it. When you have learnt that, you will be made. When you experience it, you will lay hold of God. It is not by might, any kind of might, might of intellect or learning or eloquence or position or influence. It is not by might nor by power, man's power of any sort, but my, by my spirit. That is as true as it ever was. And she put the last line there. Here is the secret of the church's failure. Not to do things in our own strength, but to do it in God's strengths. It was interesting when that time in history came when the Holy Spirit was poured out into human life. That Peter's reflection when, he, when there was the, the breaking out of the Holy Spirit and people started to speak in strange languages and they started to prophesy, Peter referenced what people could see with their eyes and what they could hear with their ears as the demonstration that the Holy Spirit had come. So he was looking for a tangible, manifested thing, something that was observable to the crowd of people, something that we could all agree on, oh, that's supernatural, that's strange, that I can't do by myself, that has to be God or it has to be something really weird that's going on. And that's what was happening in that first occasion. The promise of God was that he would pour out his spirit on all flesh. Young men, old men, old women, young women, children, anyone that had a heart after God, God said, I will pour out my spirit upon them. Now, this is the highest pinnacle of the Christian faith. The whole of the Old Testament points to this moment in time when God will said, the greatest thing that I could ever do for you was to give you me, myself to dwell with you. Now, the Old Testament is all about God visiting his people, visiting and, and visiting. But the New Testament is all about habitation, God coming and living in us and abiding in us and staying in us. Now, I'm not a smart man, but I reckon if the most powerful thing that has ever existed in the world comes and lives in my life, there has to be some proof of that. It's illogical to say that the Spirit of God lives in me and reigns in my life and that I pursue Him and yet I have nothing to show for it. That's illogical. There has to be a sign. We don't go chasing the signs, but at the same time, it adds up mathematically or theologically or any way you want to look at it. If God is present, we should know. And if God is moving, we should see the movement. And if God is healing, we should see healing. If God is speaking, we should hear. And so we need to ask ourselves, where's the evidence of God at work? If we live, notice the if, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. 
And there's two, I've put two versions there. If we are living now by the Holy Spirit's power, let us follow the Holy Spirit's leading in every part of our life. So that if there tells me that there's the possibility to live life without the Spirit. And you could even be sitting here today and not be aware of the Holy Spirit, who He is, what He wants to do. You could live life without that. You could even do Christianity or try to do Christianity without the fullness of the Spirit in your life. But the assumption that Paul's making is that we do live by the Spirit. And if we do live by the Spirit, then we keep in step with the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit says, go that way, Mark. Keeping in step is saying, okay, Lord, I'll go that way. It's a moment by moment obedience. It's a synchronicity with God. He speaks, I respond. Just like Jesus said, I don't do anything but what my Father tells me to do. We're supposed to be people that hear the voice of God and obey or are prompted by God. Um, He will speak to us and we respond that way. And we develop this relationship where we are dependent on God. I think sadly we've got into a lot of relationships where we only depend on God when things get really bad. We don't have a lifestyle of dependency on God. So we can live life apart from the Holy Spirit, separated from Him. We can live life with the knowledge of the Holy Spirit, but not intimacy with Him. Or we can live life in step, in sync with the Holy Spirit, surrendered to Him. Now you're one of those three today. We want to live life in the Spirit because that's where the fullness of God is. I don't know about you, but I want to be part of a church. I want to be part of a group of people where I can see with my eyes and hear with my ears God in the midst of us. God outworking himself through you and me. Because I believe that's what the Bible teaches us we're supposed to experience as one of the first steps of our salvation is to receive the fullness of God in our lives. A manifested presence of God in us. And if you read through the book of Acts, everywhere that the apostles went, they went searching for signs that the Holy Spirit had been poured out on people. They were looking for tangible things to to back up that people had received the gospel. And so there's four steps, and I know I've preached on these things many, many times, but the point is, why would we look at the fruit of the Spirit and how can we ever get the gifts of the Spirit unless the Spirit of God is ruling and reigning in our life? It's a nonsensical process. You might as well take the next 18 weeks off and come back when we're finished because the only way we can walk into those things, the gifts and the fruit of the Spirit, is to know that we are full of the Spirit of God. And it's not a mysterious question. You either know or you don't know. If you don't know, you're not. And if you do know, you know whether you're either walking in the fullness of God or you've stepped away from that. It's not a trick question. God's not hiding. It's his divine plan for every one of us to walk in the fullness of God. It's his mandate. It's our born ultimatum. You must be born again of water and of the Spirit. Otherwise, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. We're born to manifest the presence of God through us. And the first thing we need to do is believe in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God who died for our sins. Most of you would know that is truth. You know that Jesus hung on a cross for you. 
that if you want to pay the price for your sins, it's death and separation for God forever. But you know that he died for you. You believe that, that 2,000 years ago, God hung on a cross for you so that you wouldn't have to suffer. And because of that belief system, you repent. You go, Lord, I'm so sorry for my selfish ways. I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for all the things that I did that didn't you know, reach your level of holiness. And I ask your forgiveness for that. And we have that moment where we repent, where we turn away and we say, Lord, I'm so sorry for that past life. I now want to live in holiness and walk with you all the days of my life. And as a response to that repentance and belief, we go and get baptised in water. It's, a, it's an outward sign of what's already happened inside me. I don't know what you believe and I don't necessarily know if you've repented, but baptism is an expression of those things because it's a washing in water, it's a death to your old life and it's a resurrection to a new life, a brand new life. What, are you just going to try and do things differently this time? No, it's a brand new life because the Spirit of God is now going to fill you and enable you to live this life. So if you miss that point in which we receive the Holy Spirit, then we're chasing after a lifestyle or we're chasing after God without the capacity to actually get there. We have to be born again of the water and of the Spirit. So the first three are really an emptying process. They're getting rid of my sinfulness. They're getting rid of my past. They're cleaning me out. They're preparing me for the indwelling of God, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity to come and fill me like an alien would. God is an alien, the ultimate alien. I love sci-fi things, but this is the greatest sci-fi thing there ever is, to watch God, when you lay hands on someone to know that supernaturally God is infilling that person and see it manifest on them and then see God break out through them. I tell you, it's better than any Sigourney Weaver movie you'll ever see. It is because it's the change of a human heart to be manifest in the presence of God. Like it blows me away that that is even possible. But it's only possible if we repent and we clean out the dirty, crappy vessel with all its yuck and muck and we allow the holiness of God to fill us. And then when we're filled with the holiness of God, we're actually got the presence and the power of God to be able to, to sustain that lifestyle. Without it, we're striving. We're striving to be like God, but we can't. We'll always fall flat. We'll always come up short. So we want to empty ourselves out. And a lot of churches are very good at preaching about believing in the Son of God, about repenting to the Father, about getting baptised in water, but they're not very good at teaching people about baptism in the Holy Spirit. There are two baptisms. There are two. The first one is the Holy Spirit baptises you into Christ. And that's represented by water baptism. It's a death. I'm dying. And say no to the old man, the old Mark Wilson, he's dead. And so the Holy Spirit takes me and baptises me into the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So what happened 2,000 years ago is now appropriated by me, by my belief and my repentance. And so in response to that, I get baptised and I come up out of that water empty. The old's gone. The new has come. But the new is the Holy Spirit. It's not just a new endeavour to live a good life. It's the Spirit of God possessing me. 
taking over my life. And we need to be aware that that's what God wants to do. Otherwise, we will struggle through our Christian life. It's an invasion. It's an infilling of the third person of the Trinity. And it's Jesus taking us, because we're now in Christ, we're in his death and resurrection. He now takes us and he baptizes us into the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. Because Jesus, where is he now? He's at the right hand of the Father, exalted and glorified. He's a man just like you and me. He's got scars in his hands. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. So he's on this side. Not very good with lefts and rights. But he's a man like you and I, and he always will be the God-man. And that's why he said, I will send my spirit, because his spirit is omnipresent. He can dwell anywhere at any time. And he's looking for, he's thirsting for people that are hungry for God so he can fill them so that he can manifest himself in this world so that God can be ever-present everywhere in human form. That's the miracle. And so he wants to be able to heal and he wants to be able to speak words of wisdom and knowledge and he wants to be able to do miracles and he wants to be able to, you know, do what God does, be God in us. That's the highest point of our Christian life and we've got to get there. So there are four very distinct and essential steps to our rebirth. What did Jesus say? And you must be born again. We believe if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You're saved. You're across that line. You will live with God eternally. Peter replied, repent and be baptised every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the Holy Spirit. And this water symbolises baptism that now saves you also. Notice that word, now saves you also. Water baptism is not an additional step you take. It's part of your salvation. Not the removal of dirt from your body. It's not just a wash in a pool, but it's a pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you know that you're forgiven, you've got a clear conscience between you and God. You're not under his wrath anymore. God's not chasing you down saying, I'm going to send you to hell. He's saying, you're my son. You're welcome. And here's the blessing of being my son. I will give you the greatest gift that I ever could, my spirit. Not just gifts of the spirit, not just fruit of the spirit. We need to celebrate that God has given us himself. Do you know what the people in the Old Testament would do to have what we had today? Do you know how hard their life was having God just visit them or just go knowing that God was in a, behind a curtain in a temple and that he was at a distance from them? But we live in a New Testament covenant where the Spirit of God dwells not amongst us, he dwells in us. So our theology is not, Lord, where are you? Please come and flood the atmosphere. God can manifest himself, but it's more rising up in us that God wants. He wants us to get rid of those things in our life that restrict him and allow him to flow in our lives. So John the Baptist said, I baptise you with water for repentance, but after me comes one, Jesus, who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. Jesus will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That's entry-level Christianity. That's the starting point. You know, in theological circles, in the Pentecostal churches, they say that baptism in the Holy Spirit is like a second blessing. It's something you get later. It's not. 
It's part of the starting process of Christianity. It's just that we haven't taught it well. So some people somewhere in their journey discover that they're missing something and go, what is it that I'm missing? And then they get taught that fourth point. They should get taught that at the very start. You should have all got taught those things. And I can guarantee you today, if you're struggling in your faith, it's because one of those things you haven't properly understood. You haven't repented properly. So there's stumbling blocks, there's strongholds. You haven't got baptised in water. There's lots of people that have been baptised as infants or little children. They say, I don't need to be baptised. You need to be baptised in water because it's a demonstration of your obedience to God. If it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for you and me. And we haven't appropriated all the things that God wants us to have. It's a sign of our surrender to God. So living apart from the Spirit is just a scary proposition to me. Whether that be that you know about God or you're, you're not saved, to me that's just a scary place to be. The person without the Holy Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. So you can't chase after the deeper things of God. You really can't chase after God unless God is already in you because he enables you to understand the deeper layers of Christian faith and the Christian walk. And so how many people do you know that are scholars that are trying to find God intellectually and they never do? Because the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gives us that capacity to understand and walk with God. Jesus said to Nicodemus, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. So we give birth to human flesh. But the Spirit gives birth to spiritual things, spiritual understanding, spiritual power, spiritual presence. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. There's a mystery to this. That we can't say, here is God. God moves and he flows and he does what God does. He's just looking for vessels that he can do that through. He's looking for people like you and me that surrender to his lordship and his authority and his power and allow him, by his grace and mercy, to fill us and use us. So the person of the Holy Spirit, when he is received into our spirit, enables us to have the ability to understand spiritual things, the ability to live a life manifesting the character of God, the ability to live a life manifesting the power of God. And the whole of the Old Testament and the overriding emphasis of the New Testament culminates in this dispensation of time when the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God would occur in the lives of men and women. It either all points to it or it all points back to it, assuming that this has happened, that we are spirit-filled believers. If we water down, skirt around or go soft on the theology of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we set very well-meaning believers up to fail in their pursuit of God. I had somebody come and see us a couple of weeks ago and just in a very innocent discussion, Cheryl said to them, have you ever been baptised in the spirit. And they said, oh yeah, when I was 14, I remember getting baptised. And Cheryl said, you mean when you were baptised in a pool? And they said, yeah, 
when I received the Holy Spirit. Okay, explain what happened on that occasion. They just said, oh, well, the pastor just dumped me in the water and I got back up again and we all clapped and I went home. Okay, so you're here to see us because you're struggling. Have you ever had an encounter with God where you know that God has filled you? No, wasn't that what I did when I got baptised in the water? No. (laughs) That was your step of obedience to repentance. That was you emptying yourself, but it wasn't receiving the fullness of God. And so we opened that conversation up, talked with this person, and the light went on. And they went, I have been robbed. No one's ever taught me this. And so we laid hands on that young man, and it happened right there in that moment that God filled him. That's normal Christianity. Sadly, there's this gap that we've got that we've got to bridge and we've got to bridge it very quickly and we've got to be assured that God is in us and he has right to us and we are allowing him to have his way in our lives. So there are people that live with the knowledge of the Holy Spirit but not intimacy with the Spirit. So they're striving after God. And it's a really dangerous place to live that way. Now listen to this very carefully. Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they believed and repented, they sent to them Peter and John the apostles who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptised into water in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them And they were receiving the Holy Spirit. See how you can believe in Jesus, you can repent, you can get baptised in water and you can stop there. You can miss the most vital step of the Christian faith, which is receiving the Holy Spirit. That's what happened at Samaria. And Peter and John came down and prayed for them to receive the Holy Spirit for he had not yet fallen upon any of them. How did they know that? So they came down to visit this group of believers and they stood there and they observed and they watched and they went, something's missing. They were looking for tangible signs of the presence of God. So the Christian life without the Spirit's reign doesn't mean you're not saved. doesn't mean you're not in the kingdom. It just means you're not walking in the fullness that God wants. It's a dry religion and it can lead to striving after God rather than surrender. We don't want to end there. So really God wants us to walk in sync with the Spirit of God, full of the Spirit of God. Same passage again. We need to know that that has happened in our life. These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents and they will drink any deadly poison. It will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. This is a pretty controversial piece of scripture, but you'll notice that every one of those is a tangible sign that we could all bear witness to. It's not a hidden thing. It's not a belief system in somebody's mind. It's not a belief in their heart. It's actually an outworking of that belief system in a manifested sign of something. So there's someone who's demon-possessed. We pray that demon goes, and we know that. You know, and we can take any one of those. And Paul, all the way through his 
readings, remember Paul's writing the epistles, which is after Pentecost. He's assuming that the Christian church understands all this. He's praying that, that God would grant you and I, according to his riches in glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know this love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. So that is our born ultimatum, to know that we are spirit-filled, to know that we've got that encounter with God that has started our walk with the third person of the Trinity. Now, the Bible tells us that we're leaky vessels and we, you know, we need to be being filled by the Lord all the time. But that's a journey of constant surrender. It's not a striving after God. And we don't want to be a church that's striving, trying to do it in our own strength. It's not by might. It's not by power, but it's by my spirit says the Lord. It's a surrender. It's a place of surrender. You know when you've repented and you understand what God has done for you, you're in an incredible place of surrender. You're, you're humble. You're so overcome by what God has done for you. That's the ripe time for God to possess you because you're empty of yourself. You're empty of your sin and you're ready for God to fill you. The problem is if that process is delayed in any way, suddenly we've contaminated ourselves again. And that's why this is such a struggle in Christian circles for people to receive the Holy Spirit is because they're not back in that place of being abandoned to God again. They've mixed themselves up with the world or they've got sin in their life or they've got a stronghold in their life that sometimes God has to deal with before he can fill it up. God's holy. He won't fill a contaminated vessel. He's waiting for holiness and purity to be able to dwell there because if Christ didn't have that place to dwell in us that was pure and holy, we'd explode (laughs) because the presence of God is so powerful. So it is our born ultimatum. So we need to be people of the presence. We talk about the presence of God being here today. How do we know that? You and I would know that individually, but corporately there should be tangible signs of God's presence amongst us. Moses knew that. He said, Moses said to the Lord, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? This is the point. What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? The only thing that will distinguish us as true followers of Jesus Christ is the Spirit's manifested power. His fruit and his gifts in our midst. So does it make sense to you that how many people are in the room today? 80? 80 believers that are spirit-filled come together to worship their God who's done everything for them. Wouldn't you expect to see something that was fairly passionate, fairly radical? I would, because that's what I read in Acts. I would expect that we should be able to put that video recorder that's on up there right now and week by week by week, we could give that to someone totally outside the church and say, what are you seeing? What are you hearing? They should be saying, we're hearing really strange stuff. We're seeing really weird things. 
like people being healed and delivered and people set free and words of knowledge and words of wisdom, stuff that just comes birthed from God straight out to his people. That's the church. That's the church we need. So there's no point looking at spiritual fruit and there's no point looking at spiritual gifts unless you can answer the question, yes, I'm spirit-filled. You know what happens in a lot of circles is that people that have never had that experience feel like second-class Christian citizens. And you're not. And it's very sad that that happens. It's only because someone else hasn't taught you well. Someone hasn't led you into the fullness of God. And you guys that know me well know I can speak about this because for you know many years of my life, I'd only done the first three steps. I'd missed out on receiving the Spirit of God. And I know how difficult it was to walk that journey of, of being excited about God, of sustaining that week after week after week. Oh, I have to read my Bible again. Striving. No, when you're surrendered to God, when you've experienced the Spirit of God, you don't have to strive anymore. There's no striving. When you've encountered God and He's overwhelmed you, He's overcome you, then that's an experience you will always want. And it's not just the experience that we chase after. It's just the fruit of, the evidence of, the, the, the proof of that God is alive and working in our lives today. So there will be some of you here today that are not saved. You've never repented. You've never acknowledged that Jesus died for your sin. Today, I want to give you an opportunity to give your life to Christ. Because standing between you and hell right now is nothing. That first quote that I gave you from William Booth said, the greatest danger of the Christian faith in the next century will be Christianity without the Holy Ghost. And he then went on to add religion without a hell. (laughs) Because that's what we're trying to save people from. Trying to... uh, Invite people into the kingdom of God. And if you don't know the Lord today, all I can do is plead with you, is to give your life to God. Surrender to him and be saved. If you are a Christian, but you know that you're missing the fullness of the spirit of God in your life, would you allow someone to pray for you today? Now, I know that's a very humbling experience to do that. But all I can say to you, it's a fundamental, necessary step of the Christian life. And I want to spare you the dryness of not walking in the fullness of God. It's just a prayer. God might do it today. He might do it next week. God is God. He'll do it when he's ready. But if we are a people who are hungry after God, then there's no reason why we shouldn't want these things. We should be passionate about the things of God, especially the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? So do we want to be a church of power? Because what are we if we're not? We're a church of eloquent words. And that's what Paul said. I didn't come to you with a demonstration of eloquent words, but with the Spirit's power. And we're lacking power. As a church, we are lacking power. Not that we should go chasing after just power. We've got to be in love With God. And when we're in love with God, we want everything that He gives us and we get everything that He gives us, and then it just works its way out. And so we need to be a people that are filled with the Spirit. Why don't we pray?
Thank you, Lord. Father God, I want to thank you that your promise to your people in ages past was that you would pour out your spirit on all flesh, that every one of us sitting here today can possess that experience, that blessing, that gift, that promise. It's ours for the taking, Lord. You've promised it to us. And Lord, as we read through the book of Acts, we just see page after page of the miraculous of the Holy Spirit working through people's lives, of of strongholds being broken, of healing, of miracles. And Lord, there's somehow a separation between that as the birth of your church and what we have today. And so, Lord, I can only ask forgiveness in my life and for this church and for Cornerstone for saying, God, if we have grieved you, if we have quenched your spirit, if we have not allowed you to be God, And Father, no wonder there's no power. Lord, we don't want a form of godliness without the power. We want the power because we want the presence of God. And we don't want to do this without you here with us, rising up within us, empowering us, refreshing us, renewing us, reinvigorating us, setting a fire within us that cannot be extinguished because it's sparked by the King of kings and Lord of lords. Lord, how can we reach a lost world? How can we get their attention if we're only going to use wise, fancy words? We never will. There has to be a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And so, Lord, I want to pray today that you would not allow us to go on as a church without the fullness of your power. Would you take every one of us and search our hearts and bring us back to a place we're not, we're not a church that has a reputation of being alive, but really being dead. Because we want to be a church that has the presence of God all over us. We want to be saturated in your anointing, Lord. We want an open heaven over us. And it's not just for us. It's so that you can manifest yourself in us and we can go out to a hurting, broken world and give them God, not just human answers, Godly, divine answers in the now. Healing for broken emotions. Healing for bodies that are wounded. Healing for hearts that are crushed. Miracles to demonstrate that God is real. Words of wisdom in people's situations where they're lacking wisdom. Words of knowledge to prove that our God is right in the midst of this. That he has the answer. That he is the answer. And so, Lord, today, we're going to open this time up for you to come and meet your people. And, Lord, I want to pray that you would just come in power, come profoundly, Lord, and fill your children. You know, you can be spirit-filled and spirit-led, but still run dry. (laughs) So there's no reason for any of us not to be hungry for more of God today. You know, the interesting thing about God is He's just looking for hearts that are thirsty and hungry for His presence. I really pray that's you today. 
if you know that you're not saved, would you take that step of faith today and let someone pray with you and walk with you and talk with you so that you understand what you're doing? If you're someone who's followed God for many years, but what I'm saying to you today is resonating in your heart. You're going, you need this. You're missing this. Would you have the humility to respond to somebody today? I know what it's like to be in your shoes and I know how fearful I was. And it didn't happen right there and then for me. It took some time for God to show me the things that I'd built up in my life that were stopping God from having his way. But he was faithful to his promise. And that power came. And boy, I can tell you the difference between the before and the after is amazing. And maybe you're here today and you've had those experiences in the past. You know, but you've run dry. You've run away or you've run cold. You've slipped back into doing it in your own strength. You've quenched the spirit. Maybe there needs to be repentance today. I don't know. Whatever God is telling you to do today, would you respond? Someone will come and pray with you. If you don't want someone to pray with you, that's fine too. If you just want to stand in the presence of God, he doesn't need a human. But don't miss the opportunity today. About three months ago, I had that dream and I warned you that there was going to be a whole lot of warfare that would happen in our church. And it's happened. And it's still happening. I also believe that God is saying to us in this next little season that the door for his power and his presence is open like it hasn't been before. I just wonder if we're going to be found willing to respond. Lord, would you pour out your spirit today? Holy Spirit, will you come? Flood our hearts. Flood our minds. Make us obedient. Impassion us with your power. Change our hearts. Change our minds. Do what you need to do. But Lord, we want to give you a church family where you have freedom to have your way. And when you speak, we have ears to hear what the Spirit says. And we respond. And we say, Lord, here I am wholly available to you. Maybe you need to die to your pride today. Lay some sin at the altar. But I know, I'm convinced, I'm persuaded that God wants to meet us today. If you're looking at the clock and you need to go home, that's fine. We're not going to rush God. We're going to open up this forum today for you to respond. Father, I thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for our comforter, our counselor, our advocate. I thank you that he's just like you, Lord Jesus. He's beautiful in every way. 
And Father, we want you. We want everything you have for us. We want to burn bright. We want the fire of God in our lives. And we will not stop as a church until we know that we've got the fullness of what you've designed for us.